Let's we look to our Lord in prayer. Father, as we've been exploring throughout this year, uh, the challenges, the hardships, the difficulties of life, we've spotted how the first seven chapters and the physical hardships of life uh, come under your Lordship. And now in chapters 8 and 9, all the financial challenges of life also come under your Lordship, and we need to understand these issues in light of your grace. And Father, in all these services today, one thing we all share in common is this need for grace. It's unmerited. It's not something we can earn. It's been secured at the cross of Jesus Christ when he died in our place for our sins. And we see how Paul used a financial illustration to hammer home an eternal truth. He who is rich became poor so that we who are poor might become rich. So, Father, what we're asking is that you open our eyes to the depths and breadth of what's here in these verses as we seek to harness the, the intent of what we see in Paul's writings. So these minutes are important. We're not here to listen to a pastor, share his opinions. We're here to delve into the riches of God's truth and how it relates to life. So Father, once again, we're asking that you would warm these hearts, that you would engage these minds, and that you would shape these wills. As again, now, Father, we've come here to see Jesus and him only. I'm praying these things again now in, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I wanted to keep my promise, and so there you have it, because my sister and I had set aside this time to begin to work through the whole matter of how do you empty a house when your parents are now home with the Lord. You were working through boxes and materials, and there's so much there. Just a host of things that were distinctives of what he's all about and his legacy. Now, pastorally, I've been able to distinguish between a sigh and a yawn. A yawn reveals our tiredness. A sigh reveals our weariness. I took another box and brought it back into the living room, and, and so I began to work them through, and what I noticed is that anything that pertained to the way in which my father would give in matters of relationship to the Lord would have a memo, and the memo on the memo in the, little, in the left-hand corner down below, there was a cross followed by two Four, eight, nine. And I looked up and I said, cross two, core, eight, nine, cross two, core, eight, nine. And then all of a sudden, it's as if God was saying, I'm prepping you for next Sunday's exposition. Because two, core, eight, nine, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, 
so that you by his poverty might become rich. And I began to think about the significance of that and the way in which God in his sovereign purposes allows these things to occur so that we are better equipped to be able to address the issues of life. What I want to do with you this morning, because when you experience the challenges of life, you are dealing not with accidents in time, you're dealing with appointments in time, is to draw out what I'll call three significant sources of inspiration that are found here in these verses that I think are going to better equip you and better equip me to be able to manage well what Stephen Olford would describe as the grace of giving, rooted, of course, in who God is. The grace of giving. And as you understand the values of life, and then you evaluate your own life, you realize that the word evaluate has the word value in it. And so it forces you, and forces me, to evaluate our values of what's of highest significance. Because somewhere along the way, there will be a new generation that will have to then close shop, empty the house, and ponder the legacy. So... I'm pondering the legacy this morning with that memo in mind, cross 2 core 8 9. And the first of three sources of inspiration come out of verse 1 down through verse 8. And I'm going to put it like this, that to excel in the grace of giving, I want you to first of all consider with me the Macedonian churches. The Macedonian churches who modeled the grace of giving instructively. And you say, well, God, I haven't really bumped into any Macedonians lately here in Sheboygan County. I get that. But um, I did in Greece, and I'll tell you about it in a second. But he begins with this phrase in verse 1, we want you to know brothers. And so he's obviously talking to Christians at this point. And he wants to make absolutely certain that they are knowledgeable about what it is that he's about to teach. We, including himself, we want you to know brothers. And notice that he doesn't begin with the grace of the Macedonians. No, he begins, as you and I ought to always begin, whenever we're trying to understand the difficulties and the challenges of life, whether yours is a chapter 1 through 7 experience and the physical hardships, or yours is an 8 and 9 and the financial hardships, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. That captured my attention, the churches of Macedonia. Because, you see, last night, as I do each and every night, I took my phone and I was canvassing global events, trying to understand what's going on, what's trending, and I noticed that in Thessaloniki, there were riots that were breaking out because Macedonia wanted to be distinguished from the people of Greece. And so a treaty had been established in Athens with the Macedonian leadership so that they would begin to be known formally as the, as the North Republic of Macedonia, which for those in the southern portion of Greece, was a non-starter. 
because there's incredible conflict between the North and South, kind of like the way it was in our Civil War, the North and the South. Macedonia is to the North, you see, and Corinth, well, it's one of the cities to the South. Well, I was there in, in Macedonia. You might want to take a look at what we saw there. It appears on the screen at this point. There's three archaeological sites that we stood at, each of which denotes the way in which a church was formed. One of the three, well, there you see, is uh, the Apostle Paul's jail. Stood right there where you see the bars. Looked down in. Pondered the way in which he sang so poorly there was an earthquake, you see. And out of all that, uh, what we see developing, of course, was that the church of Philippi would, be, would begin to be formed made our way to Thessalonica. Now, we call it Thessalonica here in the States, but it's Thessalonica out there. And once again, Paul was being oppressed and resisted as he was presenting the gospel of Jesus Christ. Also spent time in Berea. They pronounce it Berea in Acts 17, 10 through 14. That's chronicled. And so what you see here now archaeologically are three sites of the northern sector that had something to do with the riots that were breaking out just last night if you had your phones operative and you were tracking global events. And you say, but Gar, what does that have to do with living, you see, here in Sheboygan County or on the outskirts of it and so on? What we have to bear in mind at this point is that what God was doing through the Apostle Paul is that he was using the outcasts, the people of the north, to be an illustration of what it means to live in terms of an act of grace to the people of the south. Much like Jesus would use the story of the Good Samaritan to grip the hearts, you see, of the Jewish population that were biased against the Samaritans. So now, back to the text, and here you see it, that in verse 2, we find that these people to the north are experiencing a severe test. If we could go back to that on the screen. It was a severe test, not merely a minor test. This was like a final exam. And it was a severe test of affliction. A severe test of affliction, which their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Now, this is fascinating, isn't it? Because normally you would expect one or the other, but not both in the same sentence. There is this abundance of joy, and there's extreme poverty. Now, it's natural for us to say, well, if there is abundance of joy, there's not extreme poverty. If there's extreme poverty, there's not an abundance of joy. But what God is doing through the Apostle Paul is saying it is possible to have both within your own personal experience, whether it be the physical hardships of chapters 1 through 7 or the financial hardships of 8 and 9, you have the opportunity to ask, and am I an example, a model of the act of grace? that this world needs to see. And what you and I have to bear in mind is that whether the hardship is the physical or it's the financial, it could very well be that this is not an accident, this is appointment, and that this is a test in order to reveal the authenticity of your faith in Jesus Christ. Are you looking out for others? Well, a certain missionary was. Chuck Swindoll tells the story of a missionary who was sitting in her second-story window when she was handed a, a letter from home, and she opened the letter. It's this crisp new $10 bill that 
that fell out, and she was incredibly surprised and pleased. But she read the letter. Her eyes were becoming distracted as she looked down below her apartment, and she saw the shabbily dressed guy out on the streets leaning against a post in front of the building. Couldn't get her mind off him. So thinking that he might be in greater financial distress than she, she slipped the bill into an envelope and quickly penned these words, Don't despair. She threw it out the window. Stranger picked it up, read it, looked up, smiled, nodded, headed off. Well, the next day, as she was about to leave the house, there's this knock at the door, and when she opened it, she found this same shabbily dressed guy standing there, smiling, as he handed her a roll of bills. And when she asked what they were for, he, he said, well, that's the 60 bucks you won, lady, and don't despair, paid five to one. You just don't know where your dollars are going, do you? Under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. For you see, what we find here in these verses is that God has chosen to use those people that were what the world would say are under-resourced as a model of the act of grace to those who, in the eyes of the world, the New York center of Greece, Corinth, what some would almost be viewing as over-resourced. And he's saying now to the Corinthians, I know you look down upon those people to the north, but ponder this. They're going through a severe test. The Greek word carries with it the idea of being rock-bottom poverty where it says extreme poverty in verse 2. So for in, the, in a severe test of affliction, notice now he takes the two extremes, weds them together. They have this abundance of joy and this extreme poverty operative simultaneously in their relationship to God and their connection with other people in the midst of their own hardships. Now, what are your hardships today? Maybe yours is a chapter 1 through 7, or maybe yours is chapter 8 and 9. But what we've got to bear in mind is that what we penned in our insert for this morning, God is the owner. We're the managers of all that God possesses. Not all that we possess, rather all that God possesses. And gives us the responsibility to administrate for God's glory. And so maybe yours is the extreme here. But what you've got to do is to pull all of this together and create a sense of balance in your own life of output and input. And then in verse 3, he adds these thoughts. For they gave according to their means. Proportionately. Not merely a portion out of their resources, but proportionate to their resources. Not out of, but rather according to. There's a difference. Every word and every phrase counts. 
For they gave according to their means. And then the Apostle Paul is saying, as I can testify. In other words, he's, got, he's, got, he's a first-hand witness here as to what's unfolding in the north. And he wants to allow those in the south to understand the impact those in the north are having, even though they might be viewed as under-resourced. I can testify they're going beyond their means of their own accord. And then in verse 4, makes this powerful statement, begging us, not us begging them, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. Now when you and I look at that, we realize that this taking part comes from the Greek word koinonia, koinonia. Uh, you've heard me say before, if you've been around just a little bit, that the word coin and koinonia need to be understood together because if you are looking for fellowship, and I encourage you to come out tonight, by the way, for life groups where fellowship is really developed, where the worship on Sunday morning gets connected to the fellowship that is going to be firsthand, upfront, personal Sunday evening, tie it all together here, koinonia Coins are meant to be in circulation. And if you're out of circulation relationally with other believers, you're going to be out of fellowship with other believers. So these people are in circulation. The coins are being exchanged in the relationships of life. And what they want to do is to understand that there's a relational dynamic involved when they understand God is the owner, we are the managers, and they want to participate in koinonia where we not only share in someone with one another, Jesus, but we then share with one another because of Jesus, begging us, begging us earnestly for the favor, taking part of having koinonia in the relief of the saints. And you say, Gert, help me understand that. What's that all about? Well, you see, in Jerusalem, the mother church, what we find is that they're impoverished and they're having a hard time resourcing, financing their ministry. And so now the Gentiles get to bless the Jews to reciprocate for the fact that the Jews were meant to be a blessing to the Gentiles. Lay by as God hath prospered, Years ago, Hudson Taylor, founder of the China Inland Mission, started each new year by writing a check to the Order of the Hebrew Christian Testimony to Israel and London. He would mock it off in his memo section to the Jew first. And well, well, David Barron, the gifted scholar of that fine organization, when he received the gift, he immediately reciprocated, sent in his own personal check to the China Inland Mission with the notation in his memo section and also to the Greek. Now those who know their Bibles well know that there is a statement to the Jew first and also to the Greek or Gentile. There's to be this reciprocal effect. And what we find out of all this is that when we are in fellowship with God, we are in fellowship with grace. And the act of grace is not meant to be a reservoir in our experience. It's to be a channel of our experience in which grace is being distributed and the ministry takes place in the financial realm as well. Well, she was shopping one day and decided to stop for a cup of coffee and bought a bag of cookies and put them into her purse and then entered a coffee shop. You ever done that? 
Well, the tables were filled except for one, in which a man was sitting there reading a newspaper. And seating herself at the opposite chair, she opened her purse, took out a magazine, and began to read several years ago. Well, after a while, she looked up and reached for a cookie, only to see the man across from her also taking a cookie. And she glared at him. He just smiled at her, resumed her reading. Moments later, she reached into the bag again for another cookie, and just as the man reached into the bag and took the cookie as well. Now she's getting angry, stares at him. There's one cookie remaining this point. Get this. The man reaches over, breaks the cookie in half, and offers her a piece. She grabs it, stuffs it in her mouth. man smiles at her again and gets up and leaves. Well, the woman's steaming. She's angry. Opens her purse. Coffee breaks over. Puts her magazine away. And there she saw her bag of cookies. All along, she unknowingly had been helping herself to the cookies belonging to this gracious man whose table she had koinonia with. (laughs) Who are you having koinonia with? Hanging on to your bag of cookies? What do you do when it seems as though your position to be able to minister to another person. Well, the Apostle Paul grasped the significance of all that. And so now he develops it even further in verse 5. And he he says in verse 5, well, this is not exactly what we expected. I would expect perhaps the Corinthians to be at cutting edge in meeting the needs of those that are in, in Jerusalem But the Macedonians, they're under-resourced. Corinthians, in the eyes of the world, this is Manhattan. uh, Over-resourced in the eyes of some. And this, not as we expected, but they gave, and notice their priority system. They understand the lordship of Jesus Christ. Do we? They gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. As I'm looking at the cross, and a two-core Eight, nine, there. And I write down in, uh, some notes, because I'm always taking notes on life, are you? The way we live shapes the way we give. And the financial records become the autobiographical statement to the next generation of how one lived and for whom one lived, which made that previous memory of standing in the rain next to the three graves all the more poignant. And so now, you pick up on this, and there you are in verse 6. And so he is now going to become increasingly practical, and he's saying, accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should now complete among you in this act of grace. In other words, a promise had been made. They had their own Labor Day weekend experience of a promise. Now bring it to completion. If they promised that they were going to resource this church of Jerusalem, bring it to completion. Resource it. 
completed among you this act of grace. And you remind yourself, tetelestai, Greek word on that cross. It is finished. It didn't read incomplete. Tetelestai. Complete this act of grace. After all, Jesus did. But now as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, you see how encompassing he is. He respects the way they live. Now wants to make the connection with the way they give. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our agape, in our love for you, you underlined it because here it comes your way again. See that you excel in this, in this act of grace also. So now you and I are beginning to ponder the significance, this act of grace. And as we're going to explore in the coming weeks, grace, gospel, glory, they're all wedded together. But it comes under the whole idea that God is the owner, as we've penned in what's appearing in our insert this morning, and we're the managers of all that God possesses. And the moment I think it's what I possess, I have made myself owner rather than manager when I am meant to administrate what God, in fact, owns. And so here now, he brings it together in this opening source of inspiration, these Macedonian people that seem so under-resourced to these Corinthian people who seem to be the Manhattan crowd of their day and so overly resourced. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine, authentic at this point. Sitting in a cafeteria years ago at Wheaton College with a friend of mine. And, uh, well, David was doing his best to try to convince me maybe I should become a pastor. And I said, I will have nothing to do with that. But I, I told him, you see, I'm on a different track altogether. But one thing I do value are, is pastors who are committed to the exposition of God's word, verse by verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book, which... David's father was noted for, for all his years, an Englishman who made his way to New York City and pastored so effectively. Well, his father had written a book, The Grace of Giving. It's a powerful book. And in one of the illustrations he uses, and he's an Englishman, of course, he says that it is said that when the British government sought to reward General Gordon for his brilliant service in China, he declined all money and titles, but accepted a gold medal inscribed with the record of his 33 engagements. Alfred writes, this became his most prized possession. But after his death, the medal couldn't be found. Couldn't be found. And eventually it was learned that he had sent it to Manchester, England, during a severe famine, directing that it should be melted down and used to buy food for those in need. And in his diary, under the date of his, its sending, these words, quote, The last earthly thing I had in this world that I valued, I have given to the Lord Jesus Christ. When we are being genuine and honest with ourselves, we evaluate what we value. And when we are doing that authentically and properly, 
we're ready now for the second source of inspiration. Now, we said that the first was to excel in the grace of giving, considering, first of all, the Macedonian churches. Now, remember what I just talked about trending last night and the riots that were occurring in a setting that is being designated Macedonia, who modeled the grace of giving instructively. But are you ready now for the second source of inspiration? Here it comes, that to excel in the grace of giving. Now, consider second of all with me the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus who exemplified the grace of giving sacrificially. Now, notice how he begins with the second source of inspiration. He begins once again with the, you know, draw a line back to what he has written, you see, in verse 1 of this chapter, with the first source of inspiration. We want you to know. Now you're up to the second source of inspiration, And here in verse 9, what we find is that the Apostle Paul is saying, for you know. He doesn't even have to tell them. Now, they know it. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I ponder the significance of that powerful statement. Because what he will do is to take that word grace and use it as the umbrella for the dynamic flow of what comes next. And he's going to use a financial illustration of the spiritual truths of the cross of Jesus Christ. So get where he's coming from here. He's been consistent with what he's writing about thus far, that though he was rich, yet for your sake, not his sake, not the Father's sake, for your sake, He became poor, but there's no period there. There's a comma there. And I saw that. I saw that you, by his poverty, might become rich. This is another way for the Apostle Paul to be able to explain what he wrote to the Macedonian believers in Philippi. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus who though he was in the form of God, did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, by being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, but it doesn't end there. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. God is owner. We are managers. And so God in eternity past, and how does that work, by the way? Eternity past, when eternity stands outside of time. And God sees past, present, and future all in the present tense. But for the sake of it all, God, in eternity past, in the covenantal dynamic of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, there was this covenantal relationship in which the second member of the Trinity would enter into this world via Bethlehem to die on a cross known as Calvary to save us, you see, from our sins. And we're the recipients. We're blessed. And it's in the memo section across two core eight, nine experience for you and for me. And now I ask myself, and you ask yourself likewise, in the second source of inspiration, and what can I learn from that? Well, maybe David Livingston can help us there. I think he can. 
I remember standing in Westminster Abbey and pondering this great story of Livingston. We're in Africa. He had had significant health problems and could only drink goat's milk. And he only had one goat to retrieve the milk each day with which would sustain him. And so one day, Livingston prayed, Lord, all I have is yours, everything. Do with it as you are pleased, not as I am pleased. Well, watch out what you pray for. That same day, a tribal chieftain, he ministered in Africa. You see, a tribal chieftain became taken up with Livingston's goat. Made it very clear he'd like to have it. Now, Livingston remembered his prayer and gave the chief his goat, and the chief in return gave Livingston the stick the chief was holding. And as Livingston walked away, he turned to somebody who understood his language and asked, well, what will I do now? I gave away my goat for this silly stick. And his friend replied, that is not a stick. That is the king's scepter. You can have anything you want with the king's scepter. You not only own one goat, you now own all the goats in this kingdom. Are you hanging on to a goat when God wants you to walk with the scepter? For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for not his sake, not the Father's sake, yet for your sake, me included, he became poor. But there's not a period there. There's a comma there because you've got to add on. So that by his poverty, using the financial illustration now, might become rich. Ponder that in the Financial Peace University presentation. Sign up for that. Consider the significance of that. Talk to others about how all this fits together for God's glory. Because now you're in, you're on to the third source of inspiration here. And we're going to jump down to verse 13 for the sake of time. Because to excel in the grace of giving, I want you to join me now in considering thirdly, the Israelite people who experience the grace of giving daily. Macedonians, instructively, Jesus, sacrificially, Israelites, daily. And you say, Gary, where's that coming from? Let's check it out. Because in verse 13, for I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need, so their abundance may supply your need, and there may be fairness. And as Dr. Olfer would put it, this is, not, this is not outward compulsion. This is an inward expulsion. Powerful. And that there may be fairness. And then what the Apostle Paul does next, because I want you to see the continuity between the Older Testament and the Newer Testament. He's going to root his teaching of this opening section uh, regarding financial hardships with an as it is written. 
which is just the way we approach week by week by week the teachings on Sunday morning. We do not do it topically. We allow the text to produce the topic. We don't impose. We expose God's word to everyone else. And so now he says, as it is written, which is what you and I are burdened for in our weekly expositions, here it comes at you. Whoever gathered much had nothing left over. Whoever gathered little had no lack. And you say, well, Garrett, help me there. What's that all about? The as it is written is taking you back to Exodus chapter 16. And here was the Israelite experience as they found themselves in the wilderness. I'll read a portion. In the evening, quail came up and covered the camp. In the morning, dew lay around the camp. And when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine flake-like thing, fine as, as frost on the ground. And when the people of Israel saw it, they said to one, one another, What is it? For they, had, they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, get this, it is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather of it up, each one of you, as much as he can eat. You shall take an omer according to the number of the persons that each of you has in his tent. And the, Is and the people of Israel did so, and they gathered some more, some less. But when they measured it with an omer, Whoever gathered much had nothing left over. Whoever gathered little had no lack. And each of them gathered as much as they could. And Moses said to them, Let no one leave any of it over till the morning. Have you ever pondered when Jesus Christ in his teaching said in his prayer, Give us this day our daily bread? Do you see the connection to the daily bread that God had in his act of grace provided to the Israelite people in the wilderness experience as hard as that was? Are you pondering now the acts of grace that God is delivering for you? And you're pulling it together instructively and you're pondering the significance of the cross of Jesus Christ sacrificially and now you say to yourself, there's food on my table at some point today to ponder the grace of giving daily what God has done for us. And we think about Macedonians and even trending now in 2018 what's happening there. We think of the cross of Jesus Christ and how what happened then relates to all of time. And we think about furthermore the Israelites and the daily bread experience that God delivers. Cross. Two core. Eight, nine. And it's a grace moment. And I realize that once again, God is prepped for what he wants to say via his word, for his glory. What's in your memo? Let's stand together. And so, Father, what we're asking now is that we realize the significance of what lordship entails. It's the sum total of who we are in relationship to you. If they are our possessions, we are Lord. If they are your possessions, you are Lord. You are the owner.
We are the managers. And we administrate biblically according to your guidelines for your glory, for the furtherance of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thank you for the act of grace. And thank you for being our God. We praise you now. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.